This podcast is brought to you by our patrons on Patreon. Before we move on to this week's episode, I want to take time to address a comment and address something about me. Um, You're probably going to hear me stutter a little. I may seem a little rushed. It's because life happened, and we all know that that's unexpected sometimes. And I know I said I was, you know, I guaranteed that I was putting this out on Thursday. But life happened and got in the way, so I'm kind of rushing through it a little to make sure I fulfill that promise. The meaning should still be there, though. I hope you get that. And the comment I got actually was was back in January, but since I haven't been around much for this, I haven't quite gotten to it. Uh, it uh, the comment was, uh, Andrew, thank you for your continued efforts to end the stigma. I've had much success with the use of my antidepressants. I'm in a much better place than I was 10 years ago. Take good care out there, everyone. Be well, and remember your story is not over. Uh, that was from Anthony Hayes. Uh, he's from me, myself, and I radio.com. Um, and thank you for your kind words, Anthony. It does mean a lot that we've now been connected for almost a year. For anybody that may not remember, uh, since it was so long ago now, Anthony is the author of an article I featured on the show. And if you want a refresher, go check out episode four, Parenting Through the Fog. Anthony also has just released a book. It's called The Science of Being. It's a good read and has a powerful message. Uh, Check out the show notes for this episode uh, for links to the Kindle and physical copies of that. All right. It's been a while since I've come to you with an episode. Every time I do, I'm compelled to apologize for the spaces in between. I could apologize to you until my throat was raw, but in the end, it is what it is. The last time I came to you, we spoke of addiction as it relates to mental illness. There are a lot of things that can be directly tied to mental illness. In some cases, it can be good, for the most part. Like, take my mania. The periods of time that I obsessively pursue some random thing that pops into my head, in most cases, I use that productively. I funnel that energy, that need for change, into a project. Things like completely turning my office upside down to build a new and better organizational method. There are harmful and productive ones, too, like how I completely rearranged our living room to better fit my idea of a living room. I was fueled to do this for several reasons, but the primary being putting my regular seat and Amanda's closer together, so we didn't always sit as far apart from each other as possible. It took several weeks, but finally, for the first time, she did eventually finally sit in the closer spot to me. Look, I know that may not seem relevant, but it demonstrates a wider point. Another thing fueled in part, a big part, but still part, by my mental illness. Paranoia. I'm not talking about the comical paranoia that is often associated with smoking pot, but a deep, core, terrifying paranoia. The kind of paranoia that takes over and convinces you that the people in your life are out to destroy you, betray you, steal from you, lie to you, and more. In cases like mine, it's mostly tied to those things. Where I am terrified that she will give up, find someone else, conduct a new relationship in secret until it reaches a point that she doesn't need me anymore and she boots me for the new person. In the case of friends, it's just being absolutely certain that certain friends are not who they say they are. That they are involving themselves with me out of pity or some sense of obligation. This kind of paranoia is fed by mental illness, but that paranoia feeds depression. This particular subject is both extremely painful to me and is one of my biggest flaws as it relates to my mental illness. 
It goes a lot deeper than just paranoia without foundation, but even that turns out to be more of a chicken-egg situation. Have I piqued your interest? I hope so. Let's get into the show. Darkest Corner Podcast, brought to you by Pants Penning Studios. I'm your host and story sharer, Andrew. Things have gotten quite interesting for me the last several months. I started seeing a therapist. Uh, he diagnosed me with bipolar on top of my existing borderline. That was unexpected. I had originally suspected bipolar after I started to believe there was something wrong with me 10 years ago. But when the counselor from that period said borderline, I just assumed that was it. I guess not. Although it does make more sense. Anyway, the moral of the story here is that I am now on a mood stabilizer on top of my previous antidepressant, both of which have been increased in dosage significantly. It's been an interesting run. I've been in better moods lately, but I'm not yet confident that it's the new meds or just convenient timing. Alright, so we're here to talk about paranoia, not my trying to get a perspective on my medications. This is something for me that seems to have been unaffected by meds all that much. For the most part, I don't get bent out of shape as much about it, at least not in all aspects of what it was before. Primarily, I don't get torn up over suspected nefarious behavior from friends. Instead, I seem to have brushed that off. As it regards to the primary reason, though, that has not really dulled its edge, but not without reason. My primary paranoia, my biggest hurt, is the paranoia that the person I care for the most, right up there with my daughter, is pulling away. I'm paranoid that my illness, my personality, my flaws, whatever it is, is pushing her away and driving her to remove me from her life, or worse, driving her into the arms of someone else. Anyone would immediately jump to tell me I'm just being paranoid. Well, yeah, that's why we're here. The idea being, paranoia is a desperate need not to be blindsided by the final confrontations of the situation. That ending conversation between two friends before their friendship is severed. Or that we need to talk conversation from a significant other. Sniffing out the disdain and unhappiness and being able to steer the car out of the free spin, or at the very least be prepared for that devastating conversation. The problem is, even with notice, that conversation still hits as hard, and the paranoia just adds time to the pain, spending days, weeks, months, or even years certain that these things are going to spiral out of control. It adds countless amounts of pain for that time, leading up to the final eruption of chaos. One of the biggest aspects of it, it's that it's not a trust issue. I know that's hard to believe, but it's not. It's not that I don't trust anyone in particular, on the contrary, I actually put a lot of trust in people. I make myself vulnerable to be taken advantage of or betrayed. It's not that I don't trust them. It's a matter that I don't trust certain aspects of all people. Some might call it a complete lack of ability to trust, and in a way, they aren't wrong. But looking back, you can't help but ask, does this happen because it was inevitable? Or does this happen because I react as if it were certain and drive them away? Is my apparent lack of trust in them the driving force in these betrayals that do occur? And now we have the crux of the situation. 
The situation that has plagued me more than once, more than twice, countless times throughout my life. Did I drive the person to destroy me, or was it meant to be from the start? Now we reach the chicken egg comment before we started the show. There is no real way to know. Sure, you can convince yourself that's why, and your spouse may agree with you, but what stops them from using your paranoia as a way to shift the blame back to you? There's no way to win but to fight the paranoia to begin with. You might still end up in the same friendship relationship ending situation, but at that point, you'll be able to take paranoia out of the who's to blame conversation. I was recently told something that shook me to my core, made that paranoia issue in an entirely new light. Something that made me step back and consider that maybe, just maybe, I really am doing it wrong. And here, have a tool. Have something tangible in your mind to help fight against it. If the betrayal, the lies, the deceit, the unfaithfulness is going to happen, it's going to happen whether you're paranoid about stopping it or not. If it is so inevitable, there's nothing you're going to be able to do to stop it from happening. You are just going to spend those weeks, months, or even years trying to find evidence of the source of paranoia, harming your connections with other people, and being absolutely miserable every day for it. And what happens when it comes true? You're just as devastated about it as if you'd never suspected to begin with. The pain will remain, but instead of having those weeks, months, or years spent miserably expecting this event to occur, why not just have the good times instead? Why not create good memories in their place? Why prolong the pain when you could instead spend what little time we all have on this planet having as much companionship, love, and fun as we can? Is it going to make it hurt more if or when that bad thing happens? Well, no, you're going to be just as destroyed. But instead of having all the weeks, months, and years to look back on saying things like, I knew it! you'll eventually be able to remember that you got to have a lot of good times in that period of time. You can look back on it as time not wasted. And most importantly, you can walk away without the guilt of inflicting the pain on others that your paranoia caused. And if the paranoia is the reason, you can void that pain altogether. I won't pretend to be all that good with words, but I hope my message here is understood. We need to continually seek happiness, not dwell on those things that might eventually hurt us. Life is going to have the pains. Life is going to have the loss. But we don't have to allow them to rule every single day of our lives. I want you listeners to do me a favor. I want you to choose one person in your life that means a lot to you. Someone that you're afraid that your mental illness might have them believe you don't care as much as you do. I want you to write them a small letter. I want you to take the time to express into the written word how much that person really does mean to you. I want you to truly express how much they mean to you. Then, I would love to see you put that letter in the comments on the Facebook post for this episode. Tag them so that they may read your words. If what you have to say is too personal to express publicly, please still deliver this message to them in private. They need to know how much they actually mean to you. They need the reassurance that inside of you is a deep caring and love for them. Because too often, our illnesses will drive those we love and care away, leaving them dumbstruck and confused. In the spirit of that, I'm going to give you my letters to the two most important people in my life. My wonderfully goofy daughter and the woman who has spent years putting up with my illness, with all the pain it causes. To my daughter, 
I will start this letter to apologize. I apologize for every time Daddy let his anger take control. I apologize for the times that I've scared you, the times that I've become irrational, for the times that I've expected far too much from you. I want you to know that my love for you envelops my every being. There isn't a moment in my day where you are not active in my mind. I worry for you. I do everything I possibly can to give you a happy childhood and do what I can to be the father that you need. I destroy myself in guilt every time that I've wronged you. Your pain is my pain. I love you more than life itself. And to my wife, Amanda, one of the most patient souls on this earth. I know that I've caused you a great ongoing pain. I know that words will never be enough to show you how I really feel, how I really want to be. I know you don't feel like an important person in my life. I want to make all the claims and promises that contradict those things, but promises will never be enough. Instead, I just want to take this moment to say things to you that I don't say enough. I love you. I love every moment of you. Even just sitting in the same room staring at our phones is better than doing so without you. I love being angry together at the same person. I love spending my time trying to keep my cool guy facade in place while listening to your jokes. I love working together to make this house more and more our home. I love taking my manic episodes to do things aimed at making yours and my time at home a lot better. I cannot picture a single moment in my life until the inevitable end comes that you are not in it by my side, telling me that I'm a jerk with that half smile and shake with your head. Things may not be a fairy tale with us, but we are not fairy tale people, and I love that about us. Instead, I love you and the wondrous adventure novel we are writing for our lives together. Okay, listeners, anyone who knows me knows how hard it is for me to express any true forms of outward emotion towards the people around me, especially those close to me. So yes, that was hard, but not because the single word of it isn't true. The homework for you might be hard, but I think it will be good for you and even more so for the people that you love if you do this. I would like to finally jump into the submission for this week. Our submitter is sharing his story with us. I think it would be good for us all to hear it. He does ask to remain anonymous. It reads, Being diagnosed with a disorder is a double-edged sword. Obviously, there's the stigma and all that comes with it, but there's also the knowledge and the contentment that comes with that. I was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, with a few forays into the realm of sociopathy, a few years ago. At first, I thought it was just depression, and on into college and beyond, I developed self-destructive tendencies. I would fail to do work, I'd make excuse after excuse, I was impulsive, I would fall into deep cycles of depression seemingly for no reason. I was a compulsive liar, and I was promiscuous. I honestly cannot say I've ever dated anyone whom I didn't cheat on. Having someone there who assuredly loved me was never enough. Whatever I didn't have, I wanted. I told more than one person that I loved them for no reason other than to entrap them and get what I wanted from them. Manipulation came as second nature, second only to breathing. It was thrilling to manipulate and to lie. I would lie about inconsequential things for no reason. And when caught, I'd lie more, insisting the truth was anything but. The feeling that I deserved more than what I had was consuming. 
and at times would lead to bouts of depression. Mixing alcohol and drugs and drinking regularly were sources of comfort and excitement. It has its benefits, though. I am unfazed by death or harm to others, which leaves me able to remain calm and objective in the face of crisis. Often, when I find myself concerned for another person, the root lies in how their situation might affect me, rather than how it is affecting them. I let myself write this without planning it out, hoping to be as candid and organic as possible. In reading it, notice the disassociation. Everything potentially bad is written in the past tense, as though it isn't still a problem. Through behavioral therapy, I can say my condition has improved. The underlying causes are certainly still there, but I am now better able to see my actions and thoughts in context, but only if I force myself. It's all too easy to forget that other people exist, and are not just objects. The first time I ever truly tried to put myself in someone else's shoes, it felt like I was being punched, and I immediately got a headache. On the bright side, I have no desire to harm people at all. It just seems pointless. It would be a waste of energy to do so, unlike the sexual sadist, which marks nearly every serial killer known to our collective societal mind. The condition has absolutely affected every aspect of my life, most of all in the realm of romantic relationships, which I find disappointing. Through charm and glibness, I find it relatively easy to find mates, either short-term or long-term. Of course, they end up fed up with my behavior, which is entirely justified. Being alone doesn't bother me, though. Being left does. Being left means the other person actively chose to be rid of you. The ego of a narcissist is something like the crystal ball of Times Square. Large, shiny, and beautiful, but also incredibly fragile. I am affected most when someone chooses to not be with me. If it sounds petty and superficial, that's because it is. Again, therapy helps to act against the condition, but does not remove it. From a narcissist, my advice is to avoid one, if at all possible. Were it not for the lack of empathy, my actions would likely be little more than irritating. Instead, they are often calculated and always damaging. I hope this helps at least one person, either to recognize it in themselves or in another, or even just to be entertaining. Recognition and adoration are the goal, after all. Thank you so very much, John. No, listeners, I didn't just give away his identity. He has been going by John Doe in our communications. So his identity is safely intact. It takes a huge amount of bravery to admit and come to terms with his situation. He is a shining example of how fearing those of this particular affliction isn't necessarily the wrong first step. They aren't lost. They aren't evil. They need help, like we all do. And John has done this. John takes active steps to better himself. High commendations for all the hardships you endured in the path to bettering yourself. And I am very honored for you to have shared your story with us. Thank you for listening to The Darkest Corner. Remember, my ears are always open. Please submit your stories to darkestcorner.panspending.com. It really makes a difference when you do. Also, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com panspending. Remember that you deserve to be happy, to have fun, and the people in your life want the same for you. Take the time to show your appreciation of that and throw paranoia out the window. And as always, you go have an absolutely fantastic day because you deserve it.
This podcast is a Pants Pending Studios production. And part of the Pants Pending Studios podcast network. Find more of our great shows just by searching Pants Pending in your podcatcher. For more information or to contact us directly, visit us at pantspending.com. Please subscribe to this show, share it with your friends, like it on Facebook, and rate it on iTunes. And we thank you for making us a part of your listening day. Pants Pending. Pants Pending. Pants Pending. Pants Pending. Pants Pending. Pants Pending. pending. Studios! (laughs) 